Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Over the past weekend, we learned that Matt Gates would be seeking the removal of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Why? Well, in a simplified manner of speaking, Kevin McCarthy be acting a fool. And there are members of Congress who negotiated certain degrees of power on the Republican side to make sure that we, people of a more libertarian, more freedom faction, anti-establishment mindset, actually can gain some ground in fixing Washington, D.C. Now, the big battle that we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks has been whether or not there's going to be a shutdown and how spending bills will be handled. It is no secret I'm a big fan of Matt Gates. Matt Gates right now is working to stop this ridiculous omnibus spending uh, program, whatever you want to call it, tactic. Basically, here's how it works. How does the government get funding for programs? High-ranking members of the political parties meet in secret with lobbyists and then draft this 5,000-page bill that nobody gets to read, and they say, fund it or else. Seriously. There's that famous picture where they wheel in 5,000 pages on a wagon, and then they're expected to just sign it. That's not Congress. That's not, as the Democrats would put it, democracy. It's not even a constitutional republic. It's autocracy. It's oligopoly. Insert whatever phrase for a bunch of rich people control the system. And there you go. That's what it is. So we got some ground. Uh, last week, we had Matt Gates on the show. I think it was last week. Was it last week? And he was talking about how basically we're moving towards single subject spending bills. That's, that's the plan. You block the omnibus with just a few members of Congress, and it doesn't go through because Democrats aren't supporting it. And what happens? Republicans will be forced to say, okay, fine. We want to at least fund, say, veterans benefits. Let's get that bill through. Congratulations. You begin winning on single subject spending bills. Why? The reason it's important is that they do things like funding the war in Ukraine or the uh, Department of Education. And Matt Gates made this point. Why should we, if, even if you wanted to, to support Ukraine, why are you forced to sign on to support the Department of Education? You should be able to say, hey, no money for this, but money for this. And more importantly, if we break this down into single subject bills, then you can actually negotiate. You can go to someone and say, OK, I'll tell you what, I'll agree to your funding for X if you agree to fund Y. I think all around it's better. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we now have this story from Fox News. House GOP members seek to expel Matt Gates amid renewed threat to vacate House Speaker McCarthy. That's right. This is a crazy story. 
Matt Gates says he's coming for Kevin McCarthy. And now you've got members of the Republican Party trying to oust Matt Gates himself. And you know what? They are investigating BS reasons to try and do it. Basically, what Fox News is reporting is that, well, you know, there's been an uh, active ethics investigation into Matt Gates for misappropriated funds and blah, blah, blah. And that's our justification. Oh, spare me, dude. Spare me. You've got Jamal Bowman. You guys probably saw this over the weekend. Yeah. Now, I don't care for the conspiracy theories, and the Democrats are desperately trying to use the conspiracy theory as, as, as a defense. Jamal Bowman pulled the fire alarm, thus delaying a vote on, on spending. And uh, I think it's funny. He was in a different building. And so now what's happening is, you know, I, I point out Jamal Bowman is dangerously stupid. And I, I you know, I, I hate being crass, right? But Jamal Bowman's basically saying, I thought the fire alarm opened the door. Really? You thought that would open the door? Okay, well, you're um, you're a moron. There's a big sign saying fire alarm, emergency exit only. And if you try and open it, the alarm will sound. So he pulls a fire alarm. Now, because of that, a lot of people believe he was trying to delay the vote. He still voted on it. He supported it, I guess. And you've got a lot of people who are a lot of the Democrats are like, well, he was in a different building. I mean, I love this. I said I tweeted this out. (laughs) These people are dangerously stupid. And I immediately get the crackpot defense from Democrats being like, he was in a totally different building, dude. And I was like, uh, did, did I say he was trying to delay the vote? Like, dude literally said he thought the pulling the fire alarm would open the door. And here's my point. Here's why I bring up this guy. You're trying to remove Matt Gates. Meanwhile, you know you have people like Adam Schiff who published the private records of an American journalist. You've got Jamal Bowman pulling a fire alarm, but it, it's, it's so obvious to anybody who pay attention, pays attention to what is wrong with our political system. Matt Gates came for Kevin McCarthy and said, we must change the system. And they said, we will remove you for this. It's brutal. It's a bummer, but that's just the way it works. Let's, uh, let's read a little bit. We got House GOP members are preparing a motion to expel Rep. Matt Gates amid his renewed threat to pursue a motion to vacate House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The House Republican members will seek to expel Gates if the Ethics Committee report comes back with findings of guilt. One member told Fox News the report is mostly written but does not know what it contains. Yet following threats to vacate McCarthy, the member said of Gates, no one can stand him at this point. A smart guy without morals. Okay, let me say this again. The member said of Gates, no one can stand him. A smart guy without morals. I, um, I want to say I loathe, I despise uh, members of uh, Congress and, 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 and what it is, but I don't feel that uh, that actually uh, captures the true passion of, of hatred that I have for these people. Following threats to vacate McCarthy, the member said of Gates, are you kidding me? This system is so absolutely corrupt. I got to tell you, I'm not surprised leftists want a revolution against the corporate neo-lib, neo-con uniparty. It takes two thirds vote to expel. Republicans are treading on on thin ice with their majority. The House is down to 433 members. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I I will say this. I'm not so convinced that Democrats are going to go along with removing Matt Gates. So it seems like it's not going to happen because as far as Democrats are concerned, they're getting leverage because Matt Gates is feuding with Kevin McCarthy. Now, my view is, you know what, man? 
there, 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 there are real challenges when it comes to elections. For instance, should RFK Jr. run as an independent? The challenge is some people think this will pull uh, votes from Trump. Anti-establishment candidate on the ballot, Trump's going to lose votes because you're going to have people who would say, I will vote for Trump before I vote for Biden, Kamala, Newsom, you name it. But there's also the argument that it's going to pull votes from the Democrats who don't want to support Newsom or Joe Biden. It's hard to know for sure. If Newsom ends up being in the nominee, RFK Jr. could spike Donald Trump. But as uh, uh, who said this last week? I think it was Phil. Phil said Donald Trump's Donald Trump's bottom is pretty solid. And I thought that was a very interesting way to phrase it. But what he means is not in the way it sounds. Donald Trump's floor of support doesn't change. He has people who will not vote for someone else. So it's likely to just end up spiking Joe Biden or whoever the Democrat is. But I I digress. This is the issue. With Matt Gaetz and Kevin McCarthy feuding, Democrats are getting an edge. It is. It's, It's creating opportunity for them. And now Kevin McCarthy is working deals trying to fund the war in Ukraine, make, cutting, cutting a backroom deals with Democrats to get this bill through. And they did. And this is where we are. I think, uh, well, we have this. This is another big part of the story. Matt Gates says he will move to oust House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I know it's funny. Originally, I'm like, we should probably do a segment talking about the removal of McCarthy. But now they're trying to remove Matt Gates. But uh, the deal's been made. USA Today, Congress dodged a government shutdown. Here are the winners and losers in a messy fight. Congress narrowly avoided a government shutdown, extending funding through November 17th, but the deal didn't come without winners and losers. The temporary deal, referred to as a continuing resolution, keeps government funding at current levels until November 17th. The legislation kicks the can down the road while lawmakers try to negotiate a longer term solution. I'm a big fan of Matt Gates. We're going to have Matt Gates uh, at our special live event. We're here in Miami. You notice everything looks a little bit different. We're doing the show from Miami this Friday. We will be hanging out with Matt Gates. Hopefully, man, this ongoing fight is brutal. And I know everyone's super excited to see him, but I hope everyone also understands this is one of the most important fights in U.S. politics in a very long time. I don't want to say it's like the most important thing, but it's one of. We've been on this omnibus spending thing for 30 years. And I was surprised to hear this. We had Matt on the show. I was like, wait, 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 Matt, you're saying this could be the first time in decades we stop the omnibus spending uh, bills. And he's like, yes, it may be the first time so far. Understand, man, when we look at these omnibus spending bills, it's like $12 million for gender studies in Pakistan. And there are reasons why they do it. It's not meaningless. The general idea is get other people, other nations to use U.S. dollars by giving them U.S. dollars to prop up confidence in the petrodollar. That's it. That's the idea. So a lot of people are like, what's the point of doing this? All that's going to happen is the Pakistani government's going to pocket the money for themselves, make themselves super rich. You bet. Welcome to the, the, the international class system of the petrodollar. People who run governments get free money and will be rich forever because the U.S. wants other nations using U.S. dollars, the petrodollar. They want all oil traded in U.S. dollars. And here's the game they play. It's the devil's deal. I guess, uh, you know, call it a Faustian deal. They basically say, you know, submit to us and we'll make you kings. And these people are like, works for me. I don't care about my people.
Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. arcseedkits.com. General idea, of course, is that all oil is traded in U.S. dollars. And what happens when China goes to Pakistan and says, we're going to give you yuan and you can use the yuan to buy oil? They say, that sounds good to us. We can buy a lot of stuff with that. But what does China have to offer in terms of luxury? If the U.S. gives dollars to Pakistan, Pakistan says, look, we've got U.S. dollars. We're being given this. And right now, U.S. dollars can buy me a Maserati. Okay, I'm going to keep the U.S. dollars and we don't want the petrodollar system to fail because then we stand to fail as well. Basically, they're buying off as many people as possible to be a part of the system and they extract from you to take from your tax dollars, to take from your savings, to, to increase inflation, to prop up this system. Omnibus spending includes provisions to do this, to run this system. Now, of course, there's a there's a risk here. If we go the honorable route, could the U.S. lose its standing? It could, but I'm actually of the opinion that the U.S. maintains its standing by by running this route under the Trump MAGA method uh, 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 or persuasion, I would call it. Basically, the idea being we we secure our borders, we encourage people to have families, we bring manufacturing back to this country, we start expanding economically and developing our own country. How about Alaska? Alaska got a lot of opportunity, a lot of natural resources. This makes the U.S. strong and bolsters our capabilities internationally. The general idea right now among the intelligence agencies, at least publicly known, because there's a lot of things they know we don't know, is that, no, it's better to have military supremacy at the expense of the United States because the U.S. doesn't matter. They're changing the rules. They're gutting the system. I saw a billboard for the Marines as I'm driving down the highway. We're making our way to uh, uh, where we're staying here in Miami. And it said, you know, some line about America's line of defense or whatever. And I'm just like, people don't want to be in the military. They're actively quitting. We are in a recruitment crisis. They're ripping apart what it means to be American and what it means to defend America. And they're bringing in non-citizens. And, you know, it's funny. The media goes the racist route because that's their deflection. I don't think allowing migrants into this country has anything to do with race. I I think that's silly. I think it has more to do with people who are not raised on American values and Judeo-Christian moral frameworks. Even Bill Maher, as I've made this point numerous times, has a Judeo-Christian moral framework. That's how he sees the world. Is he perfect? Of course not. You know, he supports a lot of bad policies. But for the longest time, even liberals in this country, even though you might be atheist, they, they don't even realize that the, the values of the Founding Fathers and the Bill of Rights are deeply rooted in, yes, the Bible. Seriously, I, was, I got interested one day, in, and a lot of you who watch all my segments, you'll know this, but for those that haven't seen it, I got interested one day and started looking at the origins for the amendments, why it was the Founding Fathers thought we needed these things. 
There's big arguments about free speech and gun rights, obviously. So I said, why, why, what happened to them? Well, obviously, the Third Amendment, super obvious. No soldiers quartering in private residences. Aha. Yeah, because the crown was sending regulars to the colonies and then being like, find a house and live in it. And they were like, dude, enough. You can't do that. And then it turns out the right to a speedy trial, the right to confront your accusers, all of these things, innocent until proven guilty, come from a, a Christian moral framework. I said Judeo-Christian because, you know, there's their shared uh, uh, teachings, typically Christians. And the idea was, uh, if there's but one righteous man, I will not condemn this city. The idea of Sodom and Gomorrah, the idea that uh, you cannot condemn the innocent just because, you know, for it's, it's, it's an opposition to a utilitarian framework. But here we are today, my friends. Here we are today. Let me pull up some tweets for you. And it seems like it's all being, I don't know, ripped out from underneath. Matt Gates says, wow, Speaker McCarthy made a side Ukraine deal with Democrats and didn't tell House Republicans until after his continuing resolution passed. More deceit. Yeah, I'm with the I'm on Matt Gates' side. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I, I, I'm th- these people are uh, here's Jake Sherman. House Democrat, Democrat, Democrat leader statement. That was a Freudian slip. When the House returns, we expect Speaker McCarthy to advance a bill to the House floor for an up and down vote that supports Ukraine, consistent with his commitment to making sure that Vladimir Putin, Russia and authoritarianism are defeated. We must stand with the Ukrainian people until victory is won. I love this so much. We had a conversation about uh, last week about Jenk Huger possibly running for president. He can't. He's not American. That's my understanding. But uh, I said I'd probably vote for him over any uniparty. If it's like Mitt Romney versus Joe Biden, I'd vote for Jenk Huger. And, and it's like, oh, wow, but he's a far left. He's a communist. And I'm like, sure, that's true. But we can win these cultural fights. I think putting an anti-establishment person of any persuasion in the system mucks it up quite a bit because this is what you get. How did we go? From no intervention, no war, Democrats, George W. Bush is Hitler, and now, what are we looking at, 15 years later, maybe maybe 17, 18 years later, you now have Democrats working side deals with Republican leadership to advance war funding. I'm I'm sorry, where's, where, these leftists, these progressives who are defending this stuff, absolutely insane. And I'll give a shout out to our good friend, Hassan Piker, because this is he I made a video where I was like, he is correct about Mr. Beast. And then I made a point about foreign war, that these bills are just giving money to the military industrial complex. It is a scam. And then he's like, what are we supposed to do? Leave Ukraine on their own? Like this, this guy's actually saying leave Ukraine. I'm like, yes, yes, quite literally. I have grown up in an age of we have burned American resources and revenue for the military industrial complex at the expense of our own citizens. You've got, and what's the argument? You've got the pipes in, in Flint, in Newark, in Pittsburgh, these famous stories where the left were screaming, the pipes, they have lead in them. And I'm like, great. How about we pull 1 billion of the 100 plus billion we've sent to Ukraine and fix pipes? They won't do it because they don't care about you. This is a captured nation. It is occupied by these extremists and they don't care. Your labor funds their wars for conquest and they will justify it by saying you live so well in your chicken coop. That's how they view you. You're a chicken. I know. I know. Everybody's like, you know, Tim likes talking about chickens. No, I, I, but I mean this. The view is 
you are but a chicken that produces in your 15 minute city. They've got other things to worry about and they don't care. If 20% of the chickens die, but they're still getting the product, they don't care. They don't. We, the people who are supposed to be the ones running this country, are saying we want, we want better things. This is the problem with monarchy, autocracy, authoritarianism. You become a cog in the machine. All that matters to the machine is the output you produce and you can be replaced. But this country is supposed to be of, for, and by the people. And I will tell you this, my friends, we're winning. A lot of people don't want to believe it, but we are absolutely winning. When Matt Gates is able to lead the fight that he is leading, when we had that defiant crew that was refusing to get to, to vote for McCarthy, that is winning. Again, Bud Light, Target, Disney, Sound of Freedom, Richmond North of Richmond. These are cultural victories, economic victories. Public Square, shout out. Guys, download the Public Square app. Now, I'm going to tell you. It's one of the one of the things I'm most most uh, excited about. This Friday we're doing this Miami event sponsored by Public Square. Public Square is the anti-Amazon. You open this app, it shows you a map of businesses in your area and businesses online that support American values. It's how we win. I'm it is an honor and a privilege that they're sponsoring the show we're doing when I already view them as one of the most powerful paths to winning the culture war. Having these businesses outright say you reject communism in this garbage and you believe in our in our in our American values and you want to sell beef jerky. And then we can support the companies that support us. You know, the funny thing, it's not about being conservative. It's not about being a Republican. I probably disagree with Matt Gates on a lot of things, a lot. But you know what I care about right now? It is only on the Republican side, the effort to dismantle the machine state, the corrupt war machine, the corrupt revolving door politics. It's remarkable to me that I grew up in an era. I'm a kid when you have the battle, battle, was it battle for battle in Seattle? It was called the World Trade Organization protests. The left were protesting. Remarkable. They were protesting these international treaties. And then it is the Democrats who supported Biden, who uh, and supported Hillary and supported Obama, who wanted the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Basically, WTO on steroids. Trump gets in first thing, nukes it. And I said, where are the Occupy Wall Street people to be cheering for this? Nope. They lost their minds during Occupy. These are the Obama years. I get all these leftists being like, TPP is bad. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, it's so bad. It's terrible. It's going to do all these awful things. And I'm like, so vote for Trump. Hillary Clinton supports it. No, you can't vote for Trump. He's a fascist. Y'all lost your minds. Lost your minds. Here's what I see. Matt Gates is, is not, this is not a fight over abortion. You want to have a, a left-right tax debate? Sure. You want to have a left-right abortion debate? That one's wild. This is Matt Gates saying, hey, maybe members of Congress should vote on individual spending. And then we can choose to support war or not support war or support education or not. And what do the Democrats say? More for the machine. Uphold the fractured system. And Kevin McCarthy and the majority of Republicans also agree to the extent they want to remove Matt Gates. Yo, this this system is is unsustainable. The, I, I guess the, the hope is eventually the American people fall asleep and give up and it becomes the cultural and political norm that we just let them do whatever they want. I think we're winning. And I think it's why 
they're getting so desperate. And, and, and I, I just, I, I can't deal with this one where people are like, no, Tim, we're not winning. They're arresting people. They arrested Trump. And I'm like, bro, that's, that's, that's horrifying desperation, right? Let's talk about nature. A bird. Why are birds typically uh, not very aggressive? Eh, blue jays are pretty brutal, stealing nests and kicking the eggs out and things like that. Yeah, we get it. But for the most part, if you encounter a bird, the bird will not fight you. Why? The bird can leave. It expels less energy to leave. But what about a badger? What about burrowing animals? Burrowing animals have one dimension to move in. Birds have three. Ground critters have two. Birds can go up, down, left, right, etc., etc. They can go forward, backward. They can go into the sky and then just be on their way. And birds can be aggressive too. They're fighting other birds. See, like a badger, for instance, super vicious. Why? In a burrow, if a predator comes to your hole, your burrow, you have only one move, fight or die. You have nowhere left to go. You are backed into a corner. You take any animal and back them into a corner. And guess what? Everybody knows they fight. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. This is what we're seeing with Democrats. They are losing culturally. They are losing politically. They're backed into a corner. So the only thing they have left is vicious lashing out, arrest and indict Trump, destroy his businesses, lie about the value of Mar-a-Lago for some weird reason. It's desperation. They have been backed into the corner. They have been routed. Their central, uh, the, the central line has, 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 has ruptured. Their ranks are breaking. And we are charging into the battlefield of culture. With things like Public Square, with Elon buying X, with Rumble, they are trying and they are failing. So there's a battle right now. The left says the old world is dying and the new world struggles to be born. Sort of true. Sort of true. The old world is dying. Depends on how you define the old world. The left views the current establishment as a means to an end and constitutional republicanism as wrong. They want international borderless communism. How do we view it? A renewed and reestablished classically liberal meritocratic system of elected representatives and community responsibility. It's not just about individual responsibility. Conservatives are very much about your duty to each other. There is a path lying before us as the old world dies. We can go the route of communism 
or we can go the route, the route of classical liberalism. Now, I'm not saying outright abject classical liberalism. Not every conservative likes it. And I'm not talking about quote unquote liberals. Classical liberalism is the idea of individual liberties, live and let live, etc. It's fairly libertarian, but it can only be maintained if there is a shared moral framework. So it's not absolute libertarianism. It's more so a moral framework rooted in traditional American values and respect for the individual, but renewed. Now, Carl, Carl Benjamin said that's reactionary. I disagree. We are trying to make something new. We are trying to progress. Just because the founding fathers envisioned something doesn't mean they implemented it. In fact, they did not. They planted the seeds. Those seeds have been growing. Ended up with the ending of slavery. A lot of countries ended slavery. Not all of them. It's really, still really bad around the world. Resulted in civil rights. And it brings us to where we are now. The tree of liberty was not something the founding fathers just planted fully grown. It was seeds they put in the ground. And the tree of liberty has grown quite large. The question is now, who will maintain it or will it be chopped down? I say, we plant new saplings. We grow new trees of liberty. We take what the founding fathers envisioned. We make something new and something better. Constitutional values, traditional uh, moral frameworks uh, as, as we've known them, and the far left communistic oppressor versus oppression and blah, 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 garbage out the, out the window. The corporate oligopoly autocracy, you name it, gone. I think we're winning this one. Why? Because rooted in what we want and what we see is the, the values of America for which we were raised and the ideals that we believe in. The left, they've got an uphill battle. They're marching through the institutions to steal this, but they're not having kids and they're advocating against having kids. In the meantime, the battle is on. I don't think they're going to remove, they'll expel Matt Gates. That would be insane. You'd get a, all, all that would happen is Matt Gates's district would probably send him back with a standing ovation. Let them try. But Kevin McCarthy may be removed as speaker. Matt Gates may make this move. So shout out to Matt Gates. Best of luck. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Donald Trump has appeared in court today with members of his family over the civil lawsuit into fraud at the Trump Organization. And before going into court, he said the judge is a rogue, the prosecutor is racist, and that it's a witch hunt, the travesty. And of course, those are all facts, perhaps colored by Trump's personal bias because they're literally going after him again. But it's true. Sorry, guys, I have the proof. You take a look at the judge ordering the Trump organization to dissolve under the arguments that Trump lied about the value of his buildings, despite the fact that his buildings are comparable to other buildings nearby. You then take a look at how the judge said Mar-a-Lago is worth around 18 million or something to that effect, when Mar-a-Lago is what, five to 10 times bigger than surrounding properties worth more than $18 million? You know, I don't even know why Trump showed up. They issued a summary judgment ordering the dissolution of the Trump organization and many companies. I don't understand the strategy of why you would walk into a room where you know the judge is going to bang the gavel and say nonsense. Perhaps. The only real reason is an appeal. If Trump doesn't show up, he's in default. You ain't appealing that. They're going to be you didn't even bother showing up to make an argument. 
Trump's going to have to go in, spend the money. This is the point. The point is, this summary judgment against the Trump organization probably won't stand. I imagine that you're going to have an appellate court say outright, like, you can't do this to the lower judge. The lower judge doesn't care. And I think Trump is right. The judge is rogue, acting out of political interest. See, in New York, they don't care. Their strategy is defeat Trump by any means necessary. And the purpose of this, in reality, to drain Donald Trump of resources that he would need to run for president. Because here's how the game works, my friends. Is the game, several people announce they're running for president, typically two different parties, they'll hold their primaries, and then they'll say, may the best man win, and they make their arguments. No, the way the system works is powerful, massive, multinational corporations allow resources to be spent on the candidate they like. But that means those candidates got to go and they got to give speeches in exchange for money. We heard recently that Michelle Obama got paid close to a million bucks for giving a speech uh, to the UN or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe getting the details wrong. I didn't follow that story too closely. But my, my response to that is, assuming it's true, Michelle Obama likely getting paid that sum of money means a run for office. This is how the game is played. You do not have your own resources to run. You go and you dance and audition for the massive multinational corporations. They then say, thanks for the speech. Here's the million dollars we promised to pay for a speech. Then when you announce you're running, you got a million dollars from, say, insert financial institution. That is not a donation. It was payment for services rendered. But if you announce you're running for office and then they give you a million dollars, now you got some election laws to, to answer some questions about. The reason why they're going after Trump's resources, Trump does not need your money to run for president. He's already famous. He spent a fraction of the money typical politicians spend when it came to 2016. And right now they're going after his assets and his resources to stop him because the arguments they're making are nonsense. And uh, I'll back it up. Here's a story from Raw Story. And uh, this is a partisan left outlet I pulled up on purpose. They say, Former President Donald Trump spent the minutes before his civil fraud trial in New York attacking the judge who will be ruling on the case. Let's uh, get the text a little bigger there. Standing just outside the courtroom, Trump told reporters that New York Judge Arthur Engeron was a rogue judge. Is it rouge? <laughs> He's a rouge judge. Did Trump spell it wrong? Who supposedly unfairly undervalued Trump's properties in concluding that for years he had committed financial fraud. The former president also lashed out at New York Attorney General Letitia James, who brought the lawsuit against Trump. And James actually said, we've proved Trump committed fraud in our filing. No, they didn't. They made an argument and a judge banged the gavel. That's crazy. Proving beyond a reasonable doubt typically requires, I don't know, like a hearing. Instead, they submitted an argument and the judge went, sounds good to me. Proof. They didn't. There's one question I have. One of the arguments they made against Trump is that he had a property that was 10,000 square feet that he listed as 30,000 square feet. The problem is typically these things, when you have like a, 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 what would you call it, a ministerial error or administrative error, you typically, if you file a property as being larger than it is and you own like thousands of properties, they don't arrest you for it. They didn't arrest Trump and they don't dissolve your company for it. They go to you and say, hey, it says 30,000 here, it's 10,000. You go, ah, crap, did I, did I mix that one up? I'll fix it. How you prove fraud from that is insane. And the fact that the judge banged the gavel says a lot. He says, we have a racist attorney general who is a horror show, Trump exclaimed. She ran on the basis of she was going to get Trump before she even knew anything about me. 
Trump concluded his remarks by calling the lawsuit a scam and a sham. Trump last week exploded at Engron after the judge found him liable for committing business fraud as the head of the Trump organization. In addition to being found liable, Trump also faces indictments in four different jurisdictions on 91 felony counts of crimes ranging from unlawfully retaining top secret government documents, blah, 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 blah. Lies and slander and manipulations. Donald Trump attacks rogue judge. See here, rogue is spelled properly. I, I, you know, I thought it was funny because I'm like, Trump spoke this. He didn't say rouge. They spelled rogue wrong. Raw story. Joke's on you. Trump railed against the rogue judge, and he is correct. But I want to jump to the part where he talks about the uh, undervaluing of his businesses. I showed this last week, but I, I know not everybody watches every single video, and we need to prove the judge is lying uh, about what uh, Trump did. Trump, the frontrunner for the 2024, uh, 2024 Republican presidential nomination, is accused by James of inflating the value of his assets by billions of dollars to secure better loan insurance terms. Weird. The lenders didn't seem to care. They got paid back on time. The businesses were operating and generating revenue at the agreed upon loan amounts. It's just, uh, it's all very strange, isn't it? Hmm? Apparently, Trump's team argued that with a summary judgment, they actually had lenders willing to testify that Trump did everything right. They had made money and were happy with the arrangements. Judge didn't care. There was no trial. Summary judgment gavel banged. That's insane. So here we have some photos, they say. Trump claimed the prosecution was being driven from Washington, saying it all comes down from the DOJ. They totally coordinated this in Washington. He claimed it's because of his performance in the polls in his bid to reclaim the White House. And uh, let me just say, yeah, probably. You take a look over at Predict It. Predict It, the betting market, has Donald Trump at 36 cents to Joe Biden's 42 cents. And while that does not suggest a Donald Trump victory, I think there's a fair reason why Trump is polling, or I should say, is, is in the prediction market under Joe Biden. And it is quite literally because the machine is lobbing everything they can at Trump. When you look at polling in aggregate, Donald Trump is winning. And it's going to be hard for Democrats. They don't have an existing Trump term to base their arguments off of. If Joe Biden was doing well, then they'd say, don't rock the boat. But things aren't going well. We got a war with seeming no end in sight, seemingly no end in sight. Ukraine, once again, the U.S. is being dragged into never ending wars of garbage. And you end up with Joe Biden being at fault. The botch Afghanistan pullout, a floundering economy, and things are not looking good for Joe Biden. It's, it's shocking. If Joe Biden were to lose this one, it's, it's, it is rare that an incumbent does not win. But Donald Trump is not in office. And I think a lot of people are sick and tired of what the Democrats have been doing. And with um, what would you do? You describe as the work we do on these podcasts as leafleting with more efforts being undertaken here. It's looking like we may actually win this one. And the reason why predicted has Trump down is because I just I'd assume most people actually believe the machine will not let go. So there are more people who, th who think the machine can't be beat. Perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Take a look at this. Latest polls of October 1st, last, last night, excuse me. Who's ahead? Well, Harris X has Trump against Biden, Trump winning by three points. Uh-oh, what's this? Public policy polling has Biden up four in, in two different polls. And then a third poll has Biden up three. How can this be? Oh, wait, it was sponsored by Save My Country Action Fund, a Democrat-aligned group. Okay. Well, look, I'm not going to say their polls are outright wrong. I think it's fair to say there are several polls that show Biden winning The Economist and YouGov. 
have Biden up five points and one point in two different polls. That's fair. I wouldn't immediately discount uh, partisan sponsorships, but I would say the margin of error probably matters in this regard. I'm not going to use them to the same weight I would use any other polls. When you take a look at McLaughlin from September 22nd to 26, Trump is up four points, five points, seven points, four points. Morning consult has DeSantis down by three, Biden beating DeSantis, and Trump up uh, and Trump down by one. It certainly can go both ways, but I believe uh, you've got JL Partners with Trump up one and the ABC News Washington Post with Trump up 10 points and nine points. So yes, my friends, they must lob every possible thing they have at Donald Trump because he is winning. They did it in 2020. They'll do it again in 2024. And I ain't talking about fraud. I'm talking about bending the rules to the best of their abilities to secure that victory. In 2020, what did we see? Universal mail-in voting, massive uh, get-out-the-vote initiatives, which are totally legal, ballot harvesting, which again, totally legal, but they pulled out all the stops, utilizing the power of the lockdowns. No one had anywhere to go. They took away your movies, took away your, your sports, and people were bored at home, locked inside in cities. They could not go anywhere. And so they said, enough. The media told them it was Trump's fault. Trump's the one who was behind Fauci. Hey, that's true. And so what happened? People just said no. Now, of course, you have people like Ken Paxton arguing there was fraud and things like that. I just say, you know what, man? I don't think that matters. Trump only lost by 42,000 votes in three states, and he can win. And they know it. But I want to, I want to, I, I got to show you the proof, right? What you're looking at is Zillow. I've shown this before. I'll show it again because it matters with the news coming out today about Trump's fraud lawsuit. The judge in New York said Mar-a-Lago is worth around 80 to $20 million or some number like that. Zillow currently lists Mar-a-Lago at $24.2 million. You want to know how that's complete and utter BS? Look at this tiny little property just above. If you go down three lots, the fourth lot at Kings Road at South Ocean Boulevard is a tiny fraction, perhaps 5% of the size of Mar-a-Lago for $25 million across the street. $30 million next door on a tiny little lot, about maybe 5% the size of Mar-a-Lago. You have actually that $25 million one is probably two, two or 3%. Right next to Mar-a-Lago, a $30 million house on no, no land. And Mar-a-Lago is beach to beach property. And the judge is trying to argue it's worthless and Trump lied about its value. This debunks the claims they've made. The Trump family, in my opinion, likely undervalued their properties. Here's the fascinating thing about the claims made by this judge. Typically, we heard from the left that Trump was undervaluing to avoid paying property taxes. That tends to be the action taken. You got a property that's worth $10 million. You don't want to come out and tell them it's worth $10 million because then you got to pay property tax on an assessment of that high. So what happens? Perhaps the game being played, for whatever reason, the tax assessor said Mar-a-Lago is like, I think the last tax, tax assessment was $30 million. Trump values it much higher than that. There's a reason for this. Now, I certainly think it's probably should be assessed at a much higher rate than that, but that's between Trump and the Florida government. However, the business component of Mar-a-Lago matters. So the question is, what is the judge saying? Is the judge saying the hard real estate value? Well, I got to argue it's not the right amount. It should be way higher. This is where things get interesting. Perhaps the strategy of the judge is to claim it's only worth what the tax assessor said it was worth to force Donald Trump to make the argument that they 
privately value it high and publicly value it low. Thus, they then strike back saying, so you're talking about avoiding paying taxes. The only problem, that's a Florida state issue and not a federal issue. Or I'm sorry, not a New York issue. That is, perhaps in New York, they may look at his properties and say, you overvalued them based on the taxes alone, and then try and get them on some state tax issue or something like that. I don't know. The only thing I see from all of this is drain Trump's resources. Every move made against him, perhaps he doesn't go to jail. I certainly think they'd like to put him there, but perhaps he doesn't. And the real strategy is just strap as many weights as possible to Trump's ankles so that he cannot run an effective campaign. That appears to be what is happening. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, I must give you Jamal Bowman. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Democrat rep Jamal Bowman is ridiculed for claiming he pulled Congress fire alarm by accident during shutdown vote as skeptics flag huge warning signs on handle and adjacent door. Now, how do you think Democrats are handling a dude who pulled a fire alarm? Whether unintentionally or not, pulling a fire alarm, it's a crime. And uh, what did Jamal Bowman say? He said he pulled the fire alarm to open the door. So he admitted he had intent. He did the act. He is guilty. And what do we hear? Every shrieking, psychotic defense of what this guy did. Now, I know I mentioned this earlier. The conspiracy theory is that this man, he was trying to uh, shut down the vote, delay it, stall for time. And perhaps that's what happened. They caught him on camera doing it. He claims that he was just trying to open the door. Why? The door has a sign saying, here's how you open it. Instead, he pulled the physical fire alarm. My point in bringing up this is that one, it's news and it just happened, but it shows you the difference. AOC leaps to his defense saying, oh, calm down. When they commit overt crimes, it is defense. They just did this. And when Donald Trump runs his business accordingly, he gets a summary judgment to shut down and the judge lies about his property's value. Here's a story from the Daily Mail. Dem rep Jamal Bowman is ridiculed for claiming he pulled Congress fire alarm by accident during shutdown. They say the incident, which was caught on camera and has since circulated far and wide, has sent Capitol lawmakers and their staffs into a tizzy as they semi-seriously try to understand why Bowman would think a clearly marked fire alarm would open a door. I'll tell you, he's lying because he's lying and was pulling the fire alarm for whatever reason. You decide what the reason is, but he's lying. Bowman put out a statement claiming that while in a rush to make it on time to vote for a stopgap spending bill that would keep the government open, he activated the fire alarm, mistakenly thinking it would open the door. Look at that photo of him pulling the fire. That's so weird. You can just uh, push on the door. And the sign on the door says, if you hold the push, the, the, the bar down, the door will open. Well, fellow left wing New Yorker rep AOC leapt to his defense. Republicans have been skeptical with many voting noting the huge warning signs on the handle of the alarm and nearby door. This is not confusing at all, Justin Amash, a former anti-Trump Republican congressman wrote on social media. There's a push bar on the door below the sign. Member of Congress see the signs all the time and know exactly what they mean. Bowman was trying to walk from the Cannon building to the Capitol building to vote. Unusually, the Cannon exit he went to wouldn't open and had this confusing sign on it. He thought it was saying you had to press the fire alarm to get out. This all makes sense. What am I missing? The sign says emergency exit only. 
Push until alarm sounds. Three seconds. Door will unlock in 30 seconds. Fascinating. Now, why would they have an emergency exit on a building that can only be opened in this way? Because you need emergency exits in the case of a fire. And why do they have locks on them? And I just, why not just have the door be open? Because they don't want people to open it when they don't have security there. So he makes the argument, well, normally the door is open. Yes. And when the door is open and people can come in and out, there's security there. And if there's no security there, they're going to lock it and not let you go through it. See how that works? Dude's obviously lying. Amash was responding to People's Policy Project founder Matt Bruning, who found the sign in front of the alarm confusing and believing Bowman felt he had to pull the alarm to exit, wondering, what am I missing? Journalist Patrick Casey added, Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm because he's incapable of rating is extremely common and not at all confusing sign is a million times funnier than him pulling it to stop the vote. Just incredible stuff. Another ex-user pointed out, his job is to read and vote on bills written in 1,000 times more confusing manner. Marjorie Taylor Greene believes Bowman is lying about the excuse. He knows exactly what pulling a fire alarm means. He did it while the Dems were trying to stall for time for the Senate and Dem whip had just called for a motion to adjourn. Both Greene and former President Trump have called for Bowman to be treated like the protesters who stormed the Capitol on January 6. His egregious act is covered on tape, a horrible display of nerve and criminality. It is a very dangerous obstruction of an official proceeding the same as used against our J6 prisoners, Trump wrote on Truth, so- Truth Social. Actually, his act may have been worse. He must suffer their same fate. When will his trial begin? And this is the harsh reality, my friends. And I bring this up not to not to hash out a silly story, but to make the point. How many people went to prison for walking on the Capitol, which is normally open to the public? A lot. Hundreds. I'm not talking about rioters. The rioters should go to jail. They should get some time served. Maybe not 20 years. Maybe not two years, but the rioters who fought with cops. Yeah, you go to jail for that. The people who were let in by the cops on the other side are facing jail time and, and being accused of, of, of trying to impede a, a, an official proceeding. And here's Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm for no real observable reason, claiming it was because he was trying to open a door. OK, so he admitted to committing the crime, pulling a fire alarm when there's no emergency. Yeah, you can't do it. ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking it. So they say, correct? You know what's going to happen? They're going to give him a slap on the wrist. But that's the penalty, right? In in situations like this, what ends up happening? I'll I'll tell you a story. In Chicago, if you want to go watch a Cubs game, you got to find parking. Parking is very hard to find. There are parking lots all over the place. You can pay and they'll bury your car and then you got to wait late to get out. Oh, it's a nightmare. And parking illegally, woof, that's a $100 ticket. And so you get where this is going. People will park illegally. And they'll park in like, you know, sometimes they'll double park blocking cars in. They don't care. Because they know that if their car gets towed, all that it means is they hop a cab to the, to the, to the uh, lot, pay 200 bucks or whatever to get their car back. Most people will just park along near the, near the crosswalk where it's a no parking zone, get a ticket. It's the cost of parking. If I got to pay 50 bucks to park, I'll just pay a ticket. Why not? Now, you don't want the criminal infraction on your on your uh, account or whatever, on your name, because they could eventually boot your car. But that's typically if you don't pay it. The city probably doesn't care because they're like, we're getting money from this. It's basically paid parking at this point. When you are wealthy and powerful, the fine just means the cost of doing business. There are many companies that break the law and they'll get charged a couple million bucks and be like, but we make, we, you, you break the law, you make 10 million and then you pay a $3 million fine. The government doesn't care. They got 3 million bucks. You don't care. You made seven. Jamal Bowman is thinking 
The penalty for pulling the fire alarm is minimal. It is worth it in his mind to pull the alarm for whatever reason. And it's amazing, right? Opening a door is what he claims. BS, I don't buy it. Granted, I'm not saying I have proof he was trying to delay the vote, but that's what he did. And you have the people arguing that, yeah, well, he was in a different building. So what? There are certain members who are going to be like, oh, I was held up because the, the alarm went off. Oh, we have to, we have to, you have to wait. And that's how the game is played. Donald Trump is being eviscerated by Democrats. And Democrats are flagrantly and blatantly breaking the law in front of your face. How are you doing? I always try to make sure I wrap this up by saying, my friends, it's a, it's, a, it's a scared, cornered beast. That's what they're doing. They're losing. Someone who is winning doesn't need to pull a fire alarm, okay? They don't need to prosecute their political rivals. Only people who are in desperation and are losing do that. But losing doesn't mean lost. And aggressive tactics can work. My point is, we're winning. And we need to make sure we counter the illegal activities they're engaging in. And we uphold the law. But I guess we'll see how it all plays out when the election comes. And there's many variables in the year ahead of us. So if you think it's crazy now, I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you all then. It was a huge story earlier this year. A delivery driver shot a YouTube prankster in a mall in Virginia. And at first, everybody thought it was a mass shooting or something like that. A gunshot rings out in the mall. Everyone runs in fear. But what actually happened was that a YouTube prankster got in the face of a delivery driver with a phone, holding it right up to his head. And the delivery driver shot this young man in the chest. Now, the breaking news that came out over the past couple of days is that the man who opened fire on the prankster was found not guilty on most of the charges, but still found guilty of unlawful discharge in, I think it's like what, in in a public place or something like that. Now, this basically means that charges relating to the shooting, I think it's malicious wounding, not guilty because the jury correctly understood what happened here. This young man, this guy, Tanner Cook, has a YouTube channel, relatively small, about 50,000. It's probably a lot for a lot of people, but in the grand scheme of YouTube, it's considered a small channel. I'm not trying to say that to be a dick. Uh, large, even, even 100,000 isn't considered to be a large channel. I know, I, seriously, because there's, I think, like hundreds of thousands of channels that are at that size. Um, and I'm not even sure a million qualifies at this point. But this guy produces videos where he harasses, intimidates, and stokes fear in people intentionally aggravating, frustrating, and provoking people. And he does it for views. And it, it works. Most of the people I think that are like, if you look at the comments on his videos, they are, they despise him. And uh, I just want to say right now, well, I'm not going to play the video because it shows a, a, a dude shooting a guy in self-defense. Alan Coley is the victim. Tanner Cook is the perpetrator. Understand this. I, I, there, there's, there's probably some uh, context here you can see. I don't want to actually play. So, so here's, here's a, a, an image of, uh, uh, of the incident in question. It says, video shows Tanner Cook, 21, who runs the Classified Goons YouTube channel, harassing Alan Coley as he picked up a food order at the Dulles Town Center Mall in Sterling, Virginia, on April 2nd. So here's the gist of the story for those that don't know. You've got these two guys. And I I believe there may be two more individuals. You've got the person who's filming this. Then you've got this dude, Tanner, who is, I think, six foot something, getting up in the face of this driver, putting the phone close to his head and playing an obnoxious statement. Stop looking at my twinkle or something to that effect. 
This dude right here, the delivery driver, says stop, backs away, says stop, no, backs away, swats, the guy puts the phone in his face, he swats it away. The dude approaches him again, and that's when Coley pulls out a gun and shoots him in the chest. It is sad that this happened. We do not want these things to happen. I always, I always stress this because you'll always get someone being like, they're cheering for it. I don't. There are certainly people who are posting FAFO and laughing about it. Bro, this is not a situation anybody wants to find themselves in. Alan Coley, the victim who was doing his job that day to bring people food, was being intimidated and harassed. Now, it is not, and I say this every time, incumbent upon the victim of someone else's criminal act to understand why they are being threatened. If you get in someone's face and he keeps saying, stop, no, and you're putting your hand in his face, I I am, Alan Coley, I think, was acting reasonably. And that's why the jury agreed and said not guilty. Now, they're still saying it was an unlawful discharge, which makes no sense. If he's cleared because he was acting in self-defense, then he's allowed to use the weapon for which he has a license to carry concealed and was acting lawfully. After the shooting, he got down, put his hands behind his back. And here's what really, really pisses me off. This dude is, is repeatedly referred to as the perpetrator and has been in jail since April. <clears throat> Let me stress that again. The perpetrator, the criminal, and the man who deserves to be in jail is Tanner Cook, and he still is producing these videos. Still doing it. There's, there, there's one where he's, he's stealing groceries from people, and guys, people are getting in his face, and what are you doing? I paid for this. And what he does is he acts like a moron to intentionally aggregate, frustrate, and instill fear in people. And yet somehow, even though security guards knew what he had been doing consistently, I believe it's at the Dulles Town Center Mall, which is really close to where we live. They know what he's doing. I, I got to tell you, man, I am, I, am, I am pissed off about this story. Alan Coley, the victim, is still in jail. I want to stress that again. The victim of this is still in jail. Um, that's, that's really why I wanted to record this segment. L- listen, I don't know who is on the side of this Tanner Cook guy. I don't know. Because these YouTube prank channels have gone too far. They, they, they've, they've consistently done insane things, harassing people, causing harm. And the, the fascinating thing here in this story is how the prosecutors, I love this. You're going to love this one. This is an article going back to May 3rd. They say YouTube prankster testifies about video that got him shot. Take a look at this. Let me see. Uh, Cook describes the prank as playing funny words on a Google Translate app. On cross-examination, he acknowledged that he stuck his phone about six inches from Kali's face while the Translate app repeated the phrase, hey, dip-ish, stop thinking about my sparkle. There you go. That's what it was. Kali backed away from the six foot five cook who kept advancing towards him, even if even as Kali said no and stop and pushed Cook's arm away. Then Cook said when the two were separated by a small distance, Coley pulled out a gun and shot him in the abdomen. I was kind of in shock, he said. I had to double check I was shot because I didn't feel anything at first. People don't know this, that typically it's described as force pushing you back when you're shot. You don't feel much. He eventually collapsed outside of Cheesecake Factory. Sheriff deputies found him and took him to the hospital. It ruptured his liver and left him scarred. Deputies found Coley in the food court where he surrendered peacefully. The charges against him include aggravated malicious wounding and use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. Not guilty on both charges. Check this out. 
Prosecutor Eden Holmes said there was nothing reasonable about Coley's response to the prank. They were holding cell phones, not weapons. She said of Cook and his associates. You don't get to make the argument that law enforcement saw a cell phone in the hand and thought it was a weapon and defended themselves. And then when this man who is innocent, minding his own business, legally caring, is attacked by these morons on YouTube, you lock him up. I'm pissed about this, man. This story really pisses me off. A lot of people are celebrating saying seeing he was found not guilty. But y'all realize they've had him locked up for like six, seven, was it eight months? Oh, no, no, six months. He's been locked up for about six months, half a year of this man's life because he was the victim. And Justin Cook, it's no charges. I'm sorry, not Justin Cook. Tanner Cook. I don't know who Justin Cook is. Tanner Cook is, uh, receives no charges. And the media issues a statement. Uh, they, they, the local reporting, uh, reporting comes out saying the victim, Tanner Cook, issues a statement. The victim? The victim. You commit a crime. Someone defends themselves. You are the perpetrator. I ask you this. Why has YouTube not banned this guy? He has videos that have been going up as of recently. I'm, I'm pretty sure, actually, he's, he's, he's still been making these videos where he goes around. I, I would say this. I would say the video is a swath of content proving criminal intent. Why aren't they arresting this guy? This, it just pisses me off, man. Look, I get YouTube prank videos. Some of them are fun. Some of them are fine. But there's a reason why the big prank shows like Punked always required an inside uh, actor. You would say like, hey, I want to prank my brother. Or a celebrity would be like, I'm going to prank my friend or girlfriend or parent. Because a friend pranking a friend, funny, depending on the severity of the prank, obviously. Some are bad. And then, you know, you get Ashton Kutcher being like, we'll film it, but it's you doing the prank. We don't want to just do that to somebody. That's, you know, that's not okay. I'm pretty sure, too, even like prank phone calls are all felonies. All of them. Like, I'm pretty sure misrepresenting yourself in a phone call is a felony. So outright prank phone calls, people think they're jokes. Yeah, it depends on who you are, though. If it's if it's if you're in politics, you'll probably be fine. Again, I don't know. If anyone is actually on the side of Cook here, but uh, I want to show you some stories. I want to show you stories so you can understand why Coley should never have been jailed in the first place. And I do not understand. This is this is a travesty of justice that this poor guy who is just trying to deliver food and delivery drivers know the threat they face. And he goes to jail for six months. Oh, not guilty. Sure. Whatever the charges for discharging that if he is found guilty on this because juries do illogical compromise all the time, should be time served, go home. But justice here would be Tanner Cook being criminally charged by the prosecutors. Man, I don't, I don't know what I can do, but I demand, I demand prosecution of Tanner Cook for this. What is the crime? I don't know, harassment and disorderly conduct, right? I'm not saying lock him up in prison for a decade. I'm saying there should be, he should be standing before a judge. He should be responsible for the discharge. This is ridiculous. Take a look at this. Uber driver who shot passenger won't be charged with the Florida stand your ground law. That's what happens in Florida. Someone threatens you. You have a right to defend yourself. I got more stories for you. DoorDash driver shot and attempted car theft. Here's one. DoorDash driver fatally shot in Akron, survived another shooting in 2022. How about this one? DoorDash driver shot at 
Man gets five years in prison. So you got this dude. He's a driver. He's legally and licensed carrying a weapon because he knows people target delivery drivers. Delivery drivers often carry cash tips, depending if you're using DoorDash, maybe it's all digital, it's all transactional, but you're going to have cell phone on you. I mean, people are going to know like, hey, this is a target. They might have cash tips. And so when you get approached in a mall and there's nobody else around and it's four guys, I think it was four guys. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, three guys, one guy, six, five, one guy shorter. They're both surrounding you. And another guy is, 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 is standing back and you don't know what they're doing. It is not the victim's problem that he's, you, you can't blame the victim here. Coley, he should have known they were just filming a prank. No way, dude. Three guys surround me and one guy's getting in my face. This is how you mug people. And, and what really, what really bugs me out about so much of law is that people don't understand how crime is, how, how criminal acts are perpetrated. In Chicago, what does a mugging look like? Now, sometimes a mugging is a guy walks up to you with a weapon and says, give me your wallet. But that is television. You know how muggings happen on the south side of Chicago? Four guys will surround you and they'll just frisk you and take your stuff and walk away. They don't say anything to you. They walk and say, they might say, hey, what's up, dude? And then they'll just start patting you and they'll immediately pull from your wallet, you know, pull from your pockets, pull out your wallet, shove you and then walk away. When you get surrounded by dudes and they're shoving something in your face, this dude, I mean, man, it's, it's crazy to me. Dude could have been distracting him, playing some noise. Delivery driver has no idea what he's hearing. He's not sitting there saying, let me listen to this phone. And little guy could pull out a knife and start taken from him. Dude probably thought like they're trying to kill me. And people just don't get it because they've not been in these situations and they don't know what these things are like. And you've got too many people who live cushy lives who just don't get it. So what do we got to do? Start a petition. The prosecutor here charged the victim with a crime. It's disgusting. Eden Holmes. This is what you get in these trifecta blue states. And we are lucky this man was acquitted. Here's what should happen now. And it'll never happen for political reasons. There should be a special prosecutor in Virginia to go after Tanner Cook for repeatedly doing these things. He knows. Look at this. He said his goals in posting the video is to bring people who are watching some kind of relief and that his viewers like when people get frustrated on camera. He intentionally states that he's provoking people. Let me tell you something, my friends. You do not get to provoke a fight and then claim self-defense. If you walk up to somebody and you instigate a fight and the person attacks you, in many jurisdictions, I don't know about Virginia, in many jurisdictions, they'll say it's your fault. You don't get to go up to someone, start a fight, and then have them get arrested. And this is because Democrats hate guns and they hate self-defense. And so the victim has been in jail since April. This, it, I'm just, it really grinds my gears, man. Take a look at this. Let's read a little bit. Let me, let me get to the point where uh, Cook testified last week that he tries to confuse the targets of his pranks for the amusement of his online audience. He said he doesn't seek to elicit fear or anger, but acknowledged his targets often react that way. That means he knows what he does elicits fear and anger. Asked why he didn't stop the prank despite Coley's repeated requests, Cook said he almost did, not because he sensed fear or anger from Coley. He said Coley simply wasn't exhibiting the type of reaction Cook was looking for. There was no reaction, Cook said. Prosecutor Eden Holmes said during the trial that the facts of the case don't support a self-defense argument, as Coley lo Coley's lawyers had argued. The law requires that Coley reasonably fear that he was in imminent danger of bodily harm, and that he used no more force than necessary. She said Cook's prank was bizarre, but not threatening. Oh, okay. 
Let's see what happens when four guys, one guy who's six foot five surrounds this prosecutor. Let's see what this prosecutor does. Let's see. What do you think happens if four guys walk up to you? One guy standing back or two guys are standing back. One guy six foot five and they get in your face. Let's see what she does. She's going to scream help. Disgusting. I can't stand these people. These are evil people. This poor dude was just trying to deliver food. He instigated nothing. He attacked no one. And now he's in jail. We got to change this stuff, man. Defense attorney Tabitha Blake said Coley didn't have the benefit of knowing he was a prank victim when he was confronted by Cook's confusing behavior. She said the prosecution's account of the incident diminishes how unsettling they were to Mr. Alan Coley at the time. In the video before the encounter with Coley, Cook and his friends can be heard workshopping the phrase they want to play. Pilliard said during closing arguments that Coley is aware of the dangers that delivery drivers can face as they interact with the public and that he has a license to carry a concealed weapon. Despite whatever events precipitated the shooting, Cook's father, Jeremy Cook, said the incident was shocking and unnecessary. They were making a video at the mall and trying to have fun with people, and this guy wasn't having fun. If I was the defense attorney, I would say to the jury, not only should Coley be released immediately, a simple man delivering food for someone like you. He wakes up in the morning. He sees stories every day. Delivery drivers are threatened. They're robbed. They're shot. It's a terrifying reality. You're driving to strangers' homes. Sometimes, you know what they do? Delivery driver, they will put in an order at DoorDash for a fake to a random address. And when the delivery driver arrives at this address, because they're texting someone, they knock on the door, nobody answers. The criminals jump out of their car, walk up, snatch the food, jump in their car and leave. Then the person who ordered the food says, I never got my food. It's a con. It's a scam. Sometimes they steal the guy's cash. This guy wakes up in the morning and says, I'm just going to deliver some food. I need to make ends meet, living paycheck to paycheck. He shows up at the mall, picking up someone's order, and he gets surrounded by some dudes who are staring him down, making weird sounds. He doesn't understand what's going. He says, stop. They refuse. They shove something in his face. This poor guy, man. And then the prosecution wants to manipulate context to falsely frame what really happened. I'm not surprised. We see this often from people on the political left. AOC did it. When she claimed that someone knocked on her door and said, where is she in her office? The idea being after the events of January 6, we all knew a bad thing happened. So she tries framing an earlier incident in the light of information gained afterwards. That is to say, AOC's story took place, I think, a full hour before the Capitol had even been breached. So when someone banged on her door, she had no reason to fear anything. She was manipulating you. They want you to believe that this guy should have known. It was just a prank, bro. When several guys surround him and get in his face. And he's still in jail. I pray for this young man and pray that he finds God in this. I believe that God saved our son's life and he could have easily died, but that's not the outcome. God has plans for my son, he said, noting that he bears no ill will towards Coley. The jury was initially divided in terms of whether the defendant acted in self-defense, but eventually delivered its verdict at the end of the day. Coley was found not guilty of aggravated malicious wounding, but was convicted of a lesser firearms count, which is a travesty of justice. Coley's defense attorney, Adam Pulliard, said the conviction on the firearms charge is inconsistent with the law, given Coley's acquittal on self-defense grounds. He asked the judge to set aside the conviction. A judge will hear the arguments on the issue at a hearing next month. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to see if there's, if there's anything we can do. I don't know how it works. I don't know if, what, what can be done. I don't live in Virginia. I live in West Virginia. But 
Something needs to be done. Something needs to be done to help this poor guy. I don't know if how, how an amicus brief works in a criminal proceeding, if that's something that can be filed. And I don't know how you even, you know, are, are, are able to. But I am I am hoping that by whatever legal means we can support this guy and make sure that not only is he released, but that we get criminal charges. I'm talking disorderly conduct, man, which is like one month max jail time. And I'm not even necessarily calling for jail time. That's, you know, potential. I'm saying this dude should get charged. Tanner Cook. Tanner Cook should get charged. He spoke from his hospital by the time of the incident and said he was playing a joke. Cook also insists that the incident will not deter him from continuing to make videos and has posted three videos since. That's what I'm talking about. He has not been deterred. He continues this pattern of behavior. YouTube outright should ban him. I'm sorry, man. I've, I've thought long and hard about this, and I'm like, should he really shut him down? I'm like, I don't know. That's tough. YouTube already made policy changes about these prank videos, and now it's resulted in a shooting. YouTube should delete this guy's channel. No question. You've got Monkey Jones. I've brought up several times. Big fan. He made dark comedy. Monkey Jones made dark comedy that was fully monetized by, by YouTube that did not break any of the rules. It was just really dark humor. And they deleted his account this is several years ago now. Without warning, without a chance for appeal, evaporated all of his channels. They said nothing. They don't care. This guy's still up. This guy's still posting videos despite causing this shooting. And the jury's found this guy not guilty, which means guess who the perpetrator was? Tanner Cook is the criminal. This guy was acting in self-defense. The jury agreed. That means this guy initiated some, some confrontation and should be held responsible for it. I'm sick of this stuff, man. This is moral and social decay. This dude is, is, has, has, has taken, the, uh, taken it upon himself. He has pushed the boundaries into a criminal element, and it's resulted in a shooting and panic and fear. And I, and I, I've been to Dallas ten, uh, Town Center Mall. It's really close to us. It's a, a half an hour drive. It's one of the malls we go to. I'm not going to go there anymore. Mall security knew this guy did this stuff. He should have had a permanent ban from the mall, and he should now. In fact, I'm going to call the mall and ask him, hey, is this guy banned? Because I ain't coming to this mall if you're allowing these people to come in, especially considering the shooting. I don't know, man. You can tell I'm pissed about this. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. When I, when I read that Coley has been in jail since April, I'm just like, how is it that these things are allowed to happen? That the victims who act in self-defense are still locked up? How is it that this guy is found not guilty and he's still locked up? And they're going to hold him for a month on this lesser charge? You people are evil. I'll leave it there. I'll see y'all in the next segment at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I just find it so hard to, to have people saying we are losing over and over and over again, to act like we are not seeing tremendous culture war victories and politics is downstream from culture. Andrew Breitbart told you this over 10 years ago. Now, right now, obviously, we have Matt Gates fighting the good fight. Kevin McCarthy fighting a bad fight, cutting backroom deals. But culturally, we have victory after victory. We are shaping the face of a new generation and of a country. And if we keep this up, politics will be soon to follow. That means anybody who's coming out and advocating for any kind of extreme action, they're a Fed. Because we're staring at a Donald Trump leading in the polls, fundraising at record numbers, 
And we're looking at apps like Public Square and ultra-right dad's beer, conservative dad's ultra-right beer and conservative dad's revenge. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you another tremendous culture war victory. Shout out to Seth Weathers. Woke-free Bud Light beer alternative ultra-right rakes in $500,000 in just 12 hours after releasing a special edition can featuring Trump's mugshot. Yo, tremendous. Ultra-right beer CEO Seth Weathers told Fox Business that sales after the special edition launch were equivalent to over five tractor loads of cans. <laughs> we knew people would go wild over these collector cans but we had no idea the response would be this crazy. He described the beer cans dubbed Conservative Dad's Revenge as the most sought-after collector beer can in American history. <laughs> Sales have poured in from the moment we launched. With over $1 million in beer and merchandise sales, we've raised over I'm sorry, over $50,000 for the legal defense of the Georgia Trump electors and the Georgia Republican Party, said, uh, said Weathers. This is... In 12 hours, they get half a mil. As of, since then, they're over a million. And apparently he's thinking that they're going to crack $2 million by the time this beer is off market. Look at that can. Conservative Dad's Revenge Limited Edition. <laughs> it's Trump's mugshots. Um, I think the mugshot, mugshot is public domain. There may be an issue with Trump's likeness. But I have to wonder about this. There are some questions about uh, copyright. I ultimately just don't think Trump cares. The beer company website pledges to donate 10% of the sales to the GOP Defense Fund in Georgia. And that's a lot. My, my only thing to Seth Weathers is he probably should have said something like 50% of profit. But I guess he said 10% of sales. So my understanding basically based on this is, let's say it costs, uh, what, are they, what are they doing? Like a dollar a beer. It's probably like three or four dollars. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe two dollars a beer for them. And then they sell it at like three bucks or something. So they're making like a 30% markup. Giving 10% is a third of their sales, of their profit margin. So that's why people typically like to say profits, because saying 10% of sales sounds small. It sounds like you're not giving that much when he's actually probably giving a substantial amount. A lot of businesses like Target, their margin is 3%. They couldn't say that. They couldn't say that. Conservative dad's ultra-right beer puts our money where our mouth is. We're doing our part to fight back against the unjust persecution of American patriots. Featuring Trump's historic mugshot in monochrome on a black background and blazed with the words 100% American beer, the cans cost 25 bucks for a six-pack plus shipping. Yes, it's ex I'm, that's expensive. I'm pretty sure. I don't buy beer, and I, uh, but I'm pretty sure you can get like a 20 a Modelo or something for around 20 bucks. Bud Light's substantially cheaper, but we know why that is. Weathers went on to predict... The sales will likely top $2 million by midnight Sunday when the special edition can officially goes off the market. So technically midnight Monday, 11.59 p.m. Sunday. Trump made history by becoming the first former president to pose for a mugshot after his arrest for trying to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia. He has pleaded not guilty to the charges and has used the photo to raise money for his campaign. Although it's claim, it claims it is not endorsed by Trump, the website echoes the narrative that he is under fire from corrupt, politically motivated forces who want to sabotage his 2024 White House bid. They're sold alongside the caption, each sale defends conservatives against the unconstitutional prosecution by the communist Fulton County District Attorney. Here's what I got to say. There's a story from Reuters. I think I actually might have it here. 
U.S. Supreme Court rebuffs lawyers punished after woeful suit backing Trump. You want to hear shocking? You want to know why people are backing this beer? One, obviously Bud Light. We all know about Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney. And this is a man's pushback. Masculinity saying no. Humans, good Americans saying we will create a challenge to your broken system. But let me show you this story from Reuters. You can really understand the importance of pushing back in every way possible. How do we raise money for legal defense? Well, to be honest, it's actually quite simple. The first, sell a product. You can you can come out and you can say, hey, we need money. Please donate money. And if people want to give, they'll give. But how about this? How about you say, how'd you like a beer? People say, yes, I'd like a beer. And then you take a portion of those beer sales and you use it to help fund legal defense. Take a look at this. U.S. Supreme Court on Monday declined to hear an appeal by two lawyers contesting a $187,000 sanction imposed on them by a judge who found they made reckless and frivolous claims in litigation they brought seeking to overturn former President Trump's 2020 election loss as fraudulent. The justices turned away the appeal by Ernest Walker and Gary Fielder, who had filed a lawsuit in Colorado accusing voting equipment company Dominion Voting Systems, Meta's Facebook, and the Center for Tech and Civic Life nonprofit organization of working to steal the election from Trump. The judge who dismissed the suit ordered Walker and Fielder to pay the legal fees of the parties they, parties they sued. Now, hold on. Some people might say, wait, wait, no, no. Paying the legal fees of the other party is normal. Not for the lawyers. The lawyers were hired by Trump who said, here's my argument. Can you help me craft it? And they said, yes. The fact that they went after the lawyers with nearly $200,000 in fines is insane. The message is clear. If you're a Trump supporter, if you are Trump, you are undeserving of constitutional protection. And the Supreme Court, spineless cowards, said too effing bad. We can't function this way. This cannot persist. And so while I may be talking to you about woke beer, about a company selling beers, they're raising money for legal defenses. And that's an extremely important thing to be done. Additionally, buying products from companies that believe in American values is how we win this. What are we fighting for? Individual liberties, a moral foundation. You know, I often bring up Bill Maher. Bill Maher has a Christian moral framework in his mind, and he doesn't get it. And I wish he did, and it'd be interesting to have a conversation with him about it. You ask him, hey, Bill, do you think that people are, should, be held innocent, should be deemed innocent until proven guilty? He'll say yes. I'm like, oh, so you, so you agree with the teachings of the Bible? The story of Sodom and Gomorrah, I bring it up all the time. It was these, these, these moral questions are instilled upon us by the values given to us by our ancestors, by those that come before us. China does not have such a moral framework. The United States sought to push these moral frameworks around the world, for better or for worse, make the argument. But I will say here in the United States, it's slipping and we are losing this. And so the first thing we can do, knowing that politics is downstream from culture, is build culture. And this is why it's so important to do podcasts. I love this. I was talking to, uh, I think it was Carl Benjamin, so I got to have a cut. And we were talking about what we can do to actually uh, fight and win this culture war. And what he said was the right has no plan. They have no plan. There's no organization. And I brought up the coffee shop. I brought up Public Square. I brought up all of the efforts that we're undertaking. And then he said something interesting. The founding fathers in the revolutionary period spent the majority of the revolutionary period pamphleting and holding meetings. 
And that is what we hope can resolve the issues. Building a culture that just says we have no confidence, we will peacefully go other ways. And I will tell you, it's one thing when you have the crown, the absolute authority, and a nation thousands of miles away and fighting. It's another thing when we are the people in this country. And if we change the confidence in this nation, it is no longer British regulars being shipped in from overseas into a land they're not familiar with. It is the cops who live in our own communities. It is the National Guard. It is the federal law enforcement. It is the people that have to live here. There's a big difference. The people in the American Revolution that were fighting against us, the, the, you had, what is, oh, the people who are fighting against us in, uh, uh, in the Revolutionary War knew they could go back home and they'd be greeted as heroes. They didn't have to live here. But here today, you have people who will have to live with the consequence of their decisions, which means if we win the culture war and we shift confidence in the system away from the corrupt establishment machine, then you will not have anyone to fight anything. And we don't want that. We just want an election. We want to win this one. And that means it's going to be very, very difficult. Really is. And people are going to make claims about fraud and law and all of that stuff. The scary thing with this story is that if we cannot file lawsuits making claims because our lawyers will be attacked by the machine, the system is breaking down. We need to make sure that judges who do things like this learn society will not accept it. That doesn't mean that they go to jail or whatever. It just means their neighbors are going to say, you did a really bad thing, John. Why would you do that? You're not welcome at Little Jimmy's birthday, your kids can't come to the birthday party. We're not going to go to the meetings with you. You're out. The issue we're seeing is hyperpolarization between states. So in a place like Colorado, where it's deep blue, they're not going to care because their neighbors are going to celebrate this. And that's the scary reality. But I'll tell you this right now. We have a victory at hand. Congratulations to conservatives' dad's revenge. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at, what do we have? Uh, 8 p.m over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you all then. Many people turn to the likes of Jordan Peterson or Andrew Tate to try and figure out what it is to be a man. And I'm a half kidding, obviously. Many people aren't so much looking for what it means to be a man. They're looking for people who speak truth about masculinity. And Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson are two sides of the same coin in that respect. That being said, Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate both have their share of controversial statements. But I started thinking when I saw this tweet posted by Carl Benjamin, it's actually a tweet posted by Babe Brahman, which was reposted by Carl Benjamin. I started thinking about what it means to be a man, what it means to actually be a man. What are your priorities? What is fear and what is bravery? I give you, my friends, the story of Andre the Rooster. Ah, yes. I don't know if this is the first completely uh, uh, complete, completely dedicated segment to chickens, but this story is actually about the worth of men and what it means to be a man. Are you a man? And what does that mean? Well, there's a man in there to boys. And they have that saying about this one really separates men from the boys here, right? But what does that mean? I look to the modern world today and I see so much Sodom and Gomorrah. And take it for what it is. Maybe you like the idea of the U.S. being Sodom and Gomorrah. Weak men partying, women partying, drugs, abuse, vanity, lust, you name it. All the seven deadly sins. And we look for stories of inspiration. There's a story of Hachiko the dog. Do you know the story of Hachiko? Hachiko was an Akita 
who went with his uh, owner, a Japanese professor, every day to the train station to see him off. And then every day he would meet back at the train station to wait for his owner to get off the train and they'd walk home together. One day, the professor had a stroke while teaching at university. And Hachiko the dog stood by that train and waiting, but he never came back. So what happened? For 10 years until his death, Hachiko waited at the train station for 10 years and everyone knew him. They saw him, this stray who was always there, who refused to give up on his friend. It was such an amazing thing to the people in Japan that they built a statue in his honor. Now, the story is a bit more complicated than that. They tried to rehome Hachiko. He'd always run away and come back to the train station. But he represents loyalty, pure loyalty. And that's, that's something about being a good person. But understanding what it is to be a man. I now give you the story of Andre the rooster. Brahmin Babe says, our fearless rooster Andre was killed in the line of duty this week. He fought off a raccoon long enough for us to intervene, but he didn't make it. Not a single chicken was lost. He was their protector, a hero. He will be sorely missed. My heart is heavy. Rip, sweet prince. And you know what? There's something amazing in that story, but the story's wrong. A chicken was lost that day, and that was Andre. He gave himself to make sure his family survived. I often hear when I say this, people saying he wasn't a chicken, he was a rooster. No, he was a chicken. He wasn't a hen. Okay? There's roosters and there's hens. All right? They're all chickens. Andre, Brahmin Babe says, was fearless. And I want to make sure I'm clear. I have tremendous respect for uh, uh, Brahmin Babe and for her rooster. But I must disagree. As you can see in my tweet. Andre wasn't fearless. It wasn't wasn't a lack of fear that led him charging full speed into the face of a raccoon that sought his death and to kill his family. Quite the opposite. Andre was scared. He was scared for his life. But to him, the lives of his family were more important than his own. He feared losing their lives more than he feared losing his. And that made me think, what does it mean to be a man? When I saw this, and I've made this point before, when I saw this, I said, there are chickens who have more courage than some humans. You know, we've had uh, chickens for quite some while. We have Chicken City, chickencity.com. We love our chickens. They're silly little doofy things. Rest in peace, Roberto Jr. He had a heart attack and died suddenly. I remember we had uh, when we only had, I think, seven chickens and accidentally a rooster. Yeah, we didn't intend to have a rooster, but turns out one of the one of the, the baby chicks we bought supposed to be a, a girl and turned out to be a dude. That's Roberto. There was a hawk attack. A hawk struck down at our chicken coop because the way we had it set up was the whole chicken coop was caged off in every direction. And there was a little door we could open to let them out into our garden area to do their chicken business because they fertilize the soil and they eat bugs. And they destroy your crops if you don't take care of it properly. But we didn't mind. We, 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 we let the chickens out saying, you know, go for it. And for the most part, it was fine. But we, we typically didn't leave, leave them out until we got what we want and let them have the rest. Hawk struck. And we have on camera, Roberto runs to the door and then stops and stands outside it as all the hens run inside. And then he goes in last. It's stories like that. Get me reading about roosters. And uh, the purpose of having them. When we realized that we had a rooster, I decided to look into it. 
And uh, they said, you, you want a rooster. You do. I mean, some people get a couple hands just to have them lay eggs, but it's good to have the dude around. And you can actually have multiple. We have several roosters. They don't fight each other. That's, that's a misconception. The story goes, roosters will sacrifice themselves to save their families. And that's why I've often said on TimCast IRL, I take issue with people saying that, uh, using the word chicken synonymously with coward. Because while hens may run in fear, certainly I think it's practical. They're not going to fight, but they'll fight if they have to, but they'll run. But all animals will. Humans will. Humans will shove people out of the way to get on on the lifeboats and the Titanic. Roosters will run full speed towards the predator knowing they will die to save their families. It's really amazing. So what does it mean to be a man? Well, I thought about this. And I thought about in my life and in most people's lives, what does it mean to have no fear? Completely wrong. Completely wrong. Do you think the men who stormed the beaches of Normandy had no fear? (laughs) I'm sure that they were praying. Forlorn hope, what do they call it? Knowing you're the first person out in the front line, your chance of survival is nothing. You're the center. You're the first line of defense. Man, imagine old battlefields during the revolution. Imagine being one of the, uh, um, uh, in the Continental Army to defend the birth of a new nation. And they say, you will stand in front. And you did. You know your chance of survival is low, but there's a reason why you do it. And Andre got me thinking about what it means to truly fear. Andre was terrified. And I think most men who've encountered serious uh, uh, catastrophes or crises knows this. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is facing down your fear, but acting anyway, because you know you have to. So what does it mean to fear? Andre, I know it's a bit silly to use the story of a rooster, but, you know, in his memory. Andre fears something greater than death. And I think most men who have families will understand this fear. And so I ask you, what do you fear more? death or standing over the dead bodies of your children. And so when I look at a story about Andre the rooster, I don't know what a rooster's thinking. I don't know that he actually thinks anything close to what I'm saying, but he represents something. There is something much worse than death. I tweeted out a scene from the movie, The Patriot. In this scene, they come across a home that's been burnt to the ground by the British. Yeah, you call them British by the, by the crown, by the regulars. Depending on the, uh, at the time, everybody was technically subject of the crown, but they were resisting, depending on who you ask. They come across this burned down home and a man jumps off his horse and runs over to find his wife and son murdered. And he paces back and forth, looks at the other men, begins crying, puts his flintlock to his head and ends his own life. This man was willing to fight and die for the birth of a new nation. I know it's, it's a story, but I love what it represents. He was willing to fight and die. Why? Because it would make a better and safer life for his family. It was what must be done. The threat to them was great. Same thing is true of Mel Gibson's character in The Patriot. He didn't want to be involved at all. Watch that movie. I love that movie. It's my favorite movie. And then you had the... Uh, 
fictional comic book villain of a British regular, of a British officer, who kills Mel Gibson's kid. And that basically drives the rage in his character to then go to war and engage in some very serious tactics, some guerrilla warfare. It's, it's particularly brutal. And so when I see that scene where the dude ends his life, I thought to myself, you can't do that, man. You can't. We need you. They took his kid from him and the pain was too great to bear. But this means he let them do it. He needed to stand and fight, not for his children, but for everyone else's as well. But that scene is what uh, I thought of when I heard the story of Andre the Rooster. And we laugh because it's a silly little animal. But their lives to them, they matter. These, these roosters care about their families. And Andre, knew he cared about his family enough to sacrifice himself. Fear is real. But it's not a question of being fearless. It's a question of what do you fear more? And I think for most people, again, I don't know about roosters, but, you know, that's the point I'm kind of making. Most men have a greater fear than death when they're running full speed to fight off a predator, to fight off a burglar in their home, knowing they could die. There's something greater than death they fear, and that's what would happen to their family. And I saw a lot of people respond and say, I don't fear death. I fear being the last one left. And I was like, that's a good way to put it. The pain you would experience from standing over the, the dead bodies of your loved ones is substantially greater than the death of dying. So it makes me think about what it means to be a man. And this is not to diminish the, the uh, women's capabilities of self-sacrifice or to say that they don't. It's that men and women uh, have, uh, in generalities, it's bimodal. Women are the nurturers who protect and nourish on the short term. And men are the ones who take the more extreme actions of defense of their family consistently. The men will go out, they'll hunt, they'll provide, they'll protect, they'll stand guard over the village and the tribe. And the women will take care of, the, of creating humans and nurturing them to be good people. Fathers do too, don't get me wrong, I know. And I think, you know, we see these stories about, uh, we've talked about it. What happens when someone grows up without a dad, you have high, high crime rates, drug abuse. And we don't ever ask ourselves, we should, what happens when people grow up without mothers? Because typically we think it's fine so long as they're not committing crimes. But I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a balance in this. So anyway, without further ado, I give you this short video discussing what it means to be a man and what it means to be scared. When men run into the burning building, and women do this too, but it is overwhelmingly men. When men rush in full speed to a hail of gunfire, be it those men who stormed into that school knowing there was a shooter, at that, Catholic, at that church, when these men are running into danger, you think they're not scared? Of course they're scared. But they believe, one, they can do it. They can survive. And more importantly, these officers who rushed in full speed to stop this mass shooter feared something greater. That was the children being killed. And so you will throw yourselves full speed. We take a look at some of these other stories where the officers ran. You take a look at Uvalde, where they stood outside terrified. That's not what it is to be a man. And that's not what we want to cultivate in, 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 in our young men. But it seems to be taking over a bit too much. No longer are the days of men who are willing to run full speed, risking their lives to save their families. Too many people say things like, I don't want to put my family at risk which is an understandable statement. But just understand, when you refuse to speak up, when you refuse 
to defend your community, you are condemning your children to live in the pod and eat the bugs. And maybe you say to yourself, that's better than being dead. Understood. Understood. But I look at the men in Uvalde, not the police, the people who ran in to save their kids. I look at our system of governance, and we are overwhelmed by people who don't have the conviction of a single rooster. Call him chicken. That's an insult to chickens. So I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot more to it than that, but I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up. Uh, I don't know when I'm posting this. Probably, uh, probably Friday or whatever. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.